This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 31st of May 2021. And whether you live in Victoria or not, we're all watching very closely to see how the outbreak is going in that state, in Melbourne specifically, because each day we're trying to figure out if we're going to be still in lockdown in, in, the, in the seven-day period or whether it's ready to lift. There was some good and bad news yesterday, Norman. Um, some of the cases that were identified yesterday had already been in isolation, which is great and linked to the previous uh, cases. But there was a bit of worrying news that one of the cases was someone who worked in aged care. Yes, this is in an our care, aged care facility, a residential aged care facility. And this could be resolved by the time you wake up and listen to Coronacast, but at the time we're recording it, we still don't have an answer. So it was the first unlinked case where they didn't know where the woman had acquired the virus. So is it another staff member in the facility that's passed it to this woman? Or did, did she get it outside? Because in that area, there is a shopping mall, which has been nominated as one of the high-risk areas for contacts. And we just don't know at this stage. But you know, as we speak, it's unlinked, and that makes it very worrying. It's very worrying also because aged care is where you just got the amplification of the problem in Victoria last year, where you got lots of healthcare workers infected, where elderly people were decanted into major hospitals uh, unwell, and they, um, they were in delirium, which is a common problem in elderly people, particularly in residents who are frail elderly, and they were producing a lot of virus and spreading it quite far. So this is a very risky situation where you could get people who are vulnerable getting sick and dying, but also spreading it elsewhere in the community. Right. And how soon will we know just how much of a problem it is? Well, the other problem with this facility is that, first of all, they all haven't been vaccinated. They all haven't been vaccinated or they haven't all been vaccinated? Like some people have, right? But one dose. As far as I'm aware, at the t- time of talking, nobody's received a second dose in this facility. This is a worry. We were supposed to, if you look at the promises back in February, February 16th, the minister, Greg Hunt, said that the rollout to aged care facilities will take six weeks. Um, I think that takes us took people through to the end of March. It's now the end of May, and we find last week, for example, when it all broke out in Victoria, there were 29, 29 aged care facilities where not a single person had been vaccinated. You know, there was some story about influenza immunisation and what have you, but, you know, this is now May. Influenza vaccination could have occurred weeks and weeks and weeks ago, it's not really an excuse for not being immunised in 29 facilities. And even in this facility, they only had one dose. And one dose is not enough. It's so incredibly frustrating because it's not just political promises um, that haven't been fulfilled. It's the fact that the reason these people were at the front of the queue is because they are at highest risk. And then we had the uh, Deputy Prime Minister saying yesterday that it, it's not a race to full vaccination. How can it not be a race? Well, yes, in fact, uh, Nick Talley and a colleague, uh, Nick Talley is an executive editor of the Medical Journal of Australia and a professor of medicine at the University of Newcastle, you know, they are arguing that it is a race. Um, It absolutely is a race because you've got these variants and this is one of the Indian variants. We don't know as much about this Indian variant than the 617.2, which is the one that's really taken over India and the UK. But if you look at the UK, there's now an uptick in uh, 617.2 immunizations, even at a vaccination level of about 60%. So you're still vulnerable, and it's in young people, it's in kids. 
that the uptick is, is, is happening who are relatively unvaccinated. And the problem here is that the first dose gives you some protection, but not as much as the previous variants. You've really got to lock in with the second dose to get good coverage. So what's happening in the United Kingdom is that they're shortening or planning to shorten the uh, interval between doses to eight weeks rather than 12 weeks. And, uh, and, you, and th- this is an important issue. Now, we could have been done and dusted with aged care. I know that we, for a while, argued that Astra should go into aged care because then you could divert the rare Pfizer doses into frontline workers. The Commonwealth said, no, we're sticking with Pfizer to make sure they get done and dusted in three weeks. But that's not happened. The lack of transparency is worrying. Let's keep like looking at the data here. Yesterday was 12 weeks since Astra first started rolling out in Australia. So presumably anyone who was eligible for Astra in that first round could be eligible for their second dose by today, but we're still very, very behind with those numbers as well. Yeah, there's plenty of Astra around and there's going to be no problem booking in for your second dose. And the, the risks of the second dose are really a tiny, 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 fr- it's already small, but it's a tiny, tiny fraction of the others. There's just only been a handful of problems with the second dose uh, internationally with uh, many, many millions of doses uh, there. So you know, if you're eligible for the second dose, go out and get it. That gives you pretty good coverage. And then you know, later on in the year, we can talk about booster shots, but get the second dose in as soon as possible. Mm. So, I mean, what does it take to turn the ship around now? It's been a very slow start to our vaccination process. It is, it is accelerating, but it's accelerating relatively slowly. How can we ramp up faster? The answer is, I don't know at this point. The COVID commander in Victoria yesterday at the press conference admitted that he's got no visibility on the rollout in private aged care. They've done their job in public aged care in Victoria, but they've got no visibility in private aged care. So the first thing we've got to do is have transparent data on a day-by-day basis. Who's had first doses? Who's had second doses? In what facility? And we've got what's called, he called it a, a a bespoke arrangement, which is what it is. You've got a bespoke arrangement with private providers going in to immunize people in aged care. When we didn't need a bespoke arrangement, we actually have national vaccine strategies and rollouts and logistics, but the Commonwealth decided to bypass that and create its own. So if the COVID commander in Victoria has no visibility on what's happening in private aged care in Victoria, you can be sure that nobody anywhere in Australia outside of the Commonwealth, if indeed the Commonwealth knows, has visibility either. So Data are what you need first to be able to formulate a solution. And it doesn't look as if we've got the data. Right. So let's talk a bit about sort of we can look to overseas countries to give us a sense of where the big risks lie. And you mentioned before the UK, they're seeing like they've had such a massive surge over the past year. If you look at the, the graphs of case numbers and deaths, it seems like they're in a really good place at the moment compared to where they were a few months ago. But there is a worrying uptick because of this variant in not just cases, but also patient admissions and people dying within a month of their positive test. Yeah, it's not huge numbers, but it's a significant increase in percentage-wise off, a, you know, off what was a low base. But it's worrying. It's a bit patchy in terms of the areas. I think it's largely England. I don't think uh, Scotland's got it at the moment, but I haven't looked at, I haven't heard from Public Health Scotland for a while on this. And it's, um, it's young people. It's, uh, it's school-age kids that are showing up with this variant. Um, So all these things are a bit concerning and show how important it is to actually get two doses of the vaccine out there and out there quickly. 
So can we then recap on AstraZeneca? Because it is the vaccine that the majority of Australia, well, Australians over 50 are eligible for. The majority of people who are eligible are eligible for AstraZeneca. And there still are sticking points around the very low risk of a blood clot, of these rare types of blood clots with it. But when people hear blood clot, they often think of DVT. Even though we've talked about this before, Norman, can we just recap on what the known risk factors are for clotting with AstraZeneca? The Really the only known risk factor is age. Young age. Young age. So that's right. So uh, the younger you are, the more likely you are to develop this rare immunological clotting syndrome. And probably a bit more biased to women than men. So therefore younger, a little bit higher risk in women than in men, although that data are not super clear. It varies from place to place. But you can probably assume it's a bit more common in women than men. And that's it. They've got all sorts of reasons why you are allowed to have Pfizer, and that includes clotting syndrome to the anticoagulant heparin, which is very similar to this one, but there's no indication that that actually does give you an increased risk of this. If you've had a cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, that's the brain vein thrombosis in the past, you get Pfizer. But again, there's no indication that that really does increase your risk uh, this time around. And there are a couple of other reasons, such as having clots in the abdomen, so-called splanchnic vein thrombosis. Again, there's no indication that that really is a risk factor, but they're playing super safe with that. So those are the main reasons why you can qualify for Pfizer. Um, you know, and also some, there's also a, a, genetic issue, a genetic problem with the clotting called the antiphospholipid syndrome, which um, also gets you the Pfizer dose. So they're just playing super safe here with those people. But in reality, there's no known risk factors apart from age and probably gender. And I mean, that was a bit of a list you just rattled off then, but all of those conditions are relatively rare. Something like a family history of blood clots doesn't fall under those, those categories that you just mentioned. Well, some, sorry, that's not quite true. Some family histories do qualify you. And so there are some genes that, that, um, that increase the risk of thrombosis. They're rare genes and they will qualify you for getting the Pfizer in some circumstances. So I think that family history of clotting is something you need to talk to your GP about because you may have one of these genetic disorders. And that probably does. But if you are somebody who's had a DVT in the past, a deep venous thrombosis in the leg, or you've had a pulmonary embolus in the past, usually it comes from a, a, a venous thrombosis in the leg, or you've had a stroke or a heart attack, that does, and they, those are caused by clots, they do not increase your risk of this clotting syndrome. This clotting syndrome is an immune phenomenon. It's not a regular clotting one. If you just think about what happens in people who've had a heart attack or a stroke or a DVT, what often happens is your blood becomes a bit thick and sticky and in fact what happens in this clotting syndrome is that you go, it becomes thin and sticky an unhealthy diet so coming back to the heart attack type stroke or the pulmonary embolus type stroke is that you've got a condition or you've got a diet or you've got smoking uh, smoking history things that are known to increasing the inherent clotting tendency of your blood this is not that same mechanism. This is external to the clotting syndrome in your immune system where something, probably a wobble in the spike protein that the, that the, that's created by the vaccine, probably an immune wobble, if you like, it's probably an oversimplification, causes an abnormal antibody response to your clotting syndrome in a few people, probably about 1 in 62,000 
who are aged over 50. So that's what causes that. It's external to the clotting syndrome, where if you've had one of those other clots, it's kind of internal to your clotting syndrome and a very different situation. And if you get COVID, the disease, you're multiple times more likely to get this particular type of clotting than you are by getting the vaccine. COVID-19 is a nightmare when it comes to your blood vessels, which become inflamed and you are at more risk of stroke, psychosis, vasculitis, inflammation of your blood vessels, which further increase clots. COVID-19 is a nightmare for your cardiovascular system. It, it really is. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today, but we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. See you then. 